Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So today I want to talk about a topic, I don't know if we've covered it a whole lot, uh, at least directly here on the podcast, uh, but it's something that interests me in a roundabout and maybe bizarre way. And that topic is trash <laughs> and uh, how we generate trash, why we generate so much trash and how we can start to generate less. Um, this may not seem like a overly homestead topic at first glance, but I actually think it's very much related to homesteading and old fashioned living. And as a homestead minded person, you kind of have a unique ability to help with this problem and create solutions. So I am very, very excited to have with me today, Eve Schaub. She just published an amazing book, which I devoured in less than three days, um, called A Year of No Garbage. This episode is brought to you by Redmond's Real Salt, which is the only salt I use for all my homestead cooking, canning, fermentation, and it's also the salt of our soda fountain restaurant. Since I can't grow salt myself, you know, obviously, I got to buy it somewhere, and I've learned that not all salt is created equal. Having the good stuff makes a really big difference in what you're cooking, and it does affect the flavor. I have loved Redmond for years because they mine their salt here in the United States, they use sustainable practices, and it contains over 60 different trace minerals that not only make it taste really good, it's also better for you too. Now, I admit I am a complete salt nerd, so I buy mine in bulk, which just makes sense because it saves me a lot of money and salt doesn't go bad, so you can stash it in your pantry for a very long time. So if you want to give Redmond's a try, whether you're buying a shaker to test drive or you want to do a 25-pound bag like I do, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash salt. And don't forget to use code HOMESTEAD to save 15% off. Now, back to our episode. Can't think of anyone better, honestly, to speak to this topic. So welcome, Eve. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me, Jill. So I know this is your, correct me if I'm wrong, your third book in this series, if you will. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And what made you want, because I know you had Year of No Sugar, Year of No Clutter, and then Year of No Garbage. So what made you choose Garbage as your third uh, book in the series? Um, I I like to tell people this is my third and final book in the series because I have agreed to stop torturing my family after this. They've been incredibly good sports. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated with garbage. Is that weird? No, I don't think it's weird at all. I actually think about it a lot too. And I have since I was a little girl, but yeah, I don't think it's weird at all. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned in the book that I remember even when I was a little kid putting all this stuff. And of course this was before the era of much recycling and definitely before single stream, uh, you know, we were putting everything in one big black garbage bag. It went in the metal can, big nasty truck came and took it away. And I remember thinking, that doesn't seem right. Like, wh- that can't be going anywhere good, you know? Right. And and I just thought it was uh, curious. And, and of course, you know, didn't, didn't think about it any further. But then uh, as times change and people become more concerned about the environment and recycling comes about in, in a more uh, a real way. I was living in Ithaca when I encountered my first curbside recycling and I was like, oh, very excited uh, to be at the forefront of, of something progressive. And, you know, uh, and, and, and it continues to evolve. Now we have uh, single stream recycling, which, you know, we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I just think that um, I'd always had, I'm, I'm sort of a very curious person by nature. I'd always been fascinated with this idea of our waste and where does it go? And now there are many people who are also talking about zero waste. And so I thought, I wonder what would it be like? It has to be possible, right? To have a completely garbage-free existence. Yeah. And so I roped my family into it and I said, we're going to do this for a calendar year. And they all went, oh my God, not again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your family were like, they seem like. And then they did it anyway. They seem like such good sports. Like I, I, I felt a little they, bit of kinship. They, they are. Because I've drugged my family. Not as, not as extreme, but I've drugged them on plenty of things similar. And like, man, she's got some great sports for, <laughs> for family. Totally. I do. Yeah. 
But I, I, I also liked the sort of um, symmetry of it because I feel like with my first book, Year of No Sugar, I was talking about the things that we take into our bodies. And then with Year of No Clutter, I was talking about the things that we bring and keep in our homes. And then with Year of No Garbage, I was talking about the things that we put into the environment. And of course, it all comes full circle because the things we put into the environment end up in our bodies as well. Yes. So I, I thought it was a nice sort of neat, I think three is a nice number. And so this is, I, I like this as sort of a beginning and end of, of my adventures. And people like to call them stunt projects, stunt memoirs. And, and I love that because yeah. I'm like, this is the only universe in which I get to be a stunt person. Yeah, I know. I like that. I like that. And I think just, just to kind of bring it back to this, the homestead world, cause that's kind of my podcast centers around the homestead audience and the farm friendly audience. Uh, we talk a lot about how homesteading teaches us how things, everything is connected, you know, and, and as modern folks, we're so fragmented in thinking of our food in this compartment and our health in this compartment and the environment over here. And like homesteading wakes you up and goes, no, it's all the same. And I love that you, you talk about your books kind of being that full circle moment. Absolutely. I, I think they're all of a piece. Yeah. And I, I, I love that this, this gets to be my job. Yes. And I also think it's it, it was very telling whenever we were going along in our year of no garbage and we were like, oh, how are we going to do this? You know, it, it was, it's always always ends up being about plastic, of course. Plastic has not been around forever. So there's always been a way to do this, whatever it is, if we want to avoid this disposable single use, whatever. There used to be another way. And so we would look to the past and say, how do people used to do this? Well, that was like the perfect segue. You didn't even know that that was my next question, but that was like golden. (laughs) (laughs) Where I, I, because I love history. I love, one of the questions I ask constantly on this podcast is, what did we do before industrialism told us otherwise? What did we do? What what did our grandparents do? What did we do before this paradigm? And so you address that early in your book and it initially caught my attention and I highlighted it like crazy. Um, You wrote, well, and then later on you wrote, in the section on paper towels, you said, it's not that big a stretch to ask how would our grandparents have done it? So, cause I'm such a nerd. Could you give us a little bit of a background of, I know it's a long history, but a short history, or at least a version of how we got to be this garbage centric culture where, you know, not that long ago, people weren't um, disposing of everything in their lives like we do now. So we're, how, how do we go from point A to today? Well, I think a lot of it uh, is focused on ideas, and I, and and actually, there's a lot of parallels with with sugar uh, at yes. the first book that I did, and you know, the, there's there's this drive towards convenience, towards ease, towards cheap, 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 and sugar and plastic uh, have a lot of commonality there. These are things that um, you know are, are very very profitable. They're things that we have not had in such great abundance. Uh, for for very long um we've we lived also without added sugar in our food uh you know to a great extent you know the way we we have it now um not all that long ago and so i think that you know you've got um a lot of people don't necessarily think about the fact or realize that plastic uh which was the darth vader of our project it was it totally was (laughs) comes from comes from fossil fuel uh, comes from oil. And so you've got the drive for, um, you know, people are now conscious of the climate uh, change emissions that come from fossil fuels. So they're reducing their use of those, uh, those things in, uh, in other areas. And so big oil is now going, oh, we have to make up that we need a plan B. We need to find out how we can sell more fossil fuel in other ways. And so You've got um, an emphasis on instead of fossil fuels for your car, we, we'll put we'll put a lot of attention and energy into how do we put plastic around every single thing that you can possibly uh, find, everything in the supermarket. I'm sure many people have noticed that when you go to the supermarket these days, they're putting plastic on things that. Why are they even putting the, you know, why are they coating this poor little avocado in I plastic? Know. Why? I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And this is not necessary, but this is a driving force in the industry. They're, they are push, push, pushing because they see this as, um, their, their, their backup plan. Interesting. Um, and unfortunately, um, we as consumers, you know, it's very difficult to get away once we've been presented with, you know, okay, everything has to be packed in plastic. Well, it wasn't always the case when I was a kid. 
You know, I remember you could like, and it's still the case. I can still go to the store and buy flour in a paper bag, but almost everything else is packaged in plastic in my store. And it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying to see. and, And you feel that your choices are being taken away from you as a consumer. It really does feel like that. I know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself zero waste. I would like to be, but it's not necessarily feasible for, you know, every part of our life, but we're, we're pretty mindful of the waste that we're generating and, and what we're consuming. But even, I feel like I'm far more cognizant than the average American, but like the stuff that comes into my home, I'm like, I can't, it's like, I can't stop it. And then when it's, it's out of control, it feels like it is forced on us in a sense, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the conclusions that I come to in the course of the book is that unless I want to like quit society and go live in a cave, I can't stop I can't avoid purchasing plastic. I have to feed my family. Yes. I can't, you know, I can't sufficiently get the nutrients into my household right. <laughs> without buying this single-use disposable plastic packaging. And so we had to find other solutions for, you know, because we still, we still, ha- we had it and we couldn't throw it away. So I was washing and drying and hanging it up or all around my kitchen. You know, it was very festive yes. looking. Like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And there are some solutions, um, but unfortunately, there, there, as as you um, will find out in the book, there there's some some um, we need to be very um, circumspect. Yes, and realize that that when you go to forms of extreme recycling, like say uh, mail-in recycling programs yes. or pay-to-play recycling programs, which was what we needed to resort to. That was really the the last stop. Was okay. Uh, if, for all, if all else fails, we will send it to this person who promises something good will happen with it. But unfortunately, there's been, a, uh, since our year of no garbage ended, there's been a lot of controversy about mm-hmm. these programs, and there's been lawsuits, and there's been expose documentaries. And I, I came to the conclusion that um, it's very, very possible that what these uh, different extreme recycling programs are promising may not be what's really happening. Yeah. And so we have to go back to the beginning and say, how do we turn off the tap? How do we turn plastic production off at the source? And we do our best as we can as consumers to limit how much we're bringing into our homes. When we have a choice, make the better choice and avoid the plastic. But um, you can't always do it and still be a functioning member of contemporary society. Right. Yeah. I, I felt your pain as you were talking about, you know, you have, friend, <laughs> you have friends over and they're bringing things. You're like, I'm sorry, you have to take that back home with you. Because I, oh, I yeah. can't. It was a terrible yeah. hostess. Yeah. yeah. Or the little <laughs> things like every, you know, I was reading, you're, you're such an awesome writer. It was so engaging. Um, and in case any, anyone listening, this is not a dry book. This is a very entertaining and engaging book. So trash can be extremely pleasurable to read about. I promise. Um, you're talk- <laughs> I love you're that. talking about like the little things, like the little wrappers around the bottle, the top of the bottle and the little twisty ties. And I was like, Oh no, the little things. I didn't think of that. Oh no. And it was, it's stressful. Just even <laughs> listening to you talk about it. It was stressful. Um, the little tiny stickers yes, that they put the on the stickers. apples. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's out of control. Can you, for those who haven't read the book yet, because I know they will, but can you kind of give your high level spiel of the plastic recycling industry? Because I feel like, I, I mean, I've had a little bit of an awareness that it wasn't quite what they're telling us it is, but I think that a lot of people still are thinking if I drop my, you know, pop bottle in the, the recycling bin, it's a hundred percent fine and it all goes where I think it's going to go. So what did you discover about the realities of recycling plastic in our, in that single stream way? Um, it's, it's really a shame when, when we started our project, uh, I was I was thinking, okay, but you know, plastic. How bad could it be, really? I mean, we we can we have a, a single stream uh, uh, garbage provider. We have our our bin that we use for our recycling, and we can put everything in it. And they accepted plastics one through seven. That's the resin identification code that most people are familiar with. It's somewhere usually on the bottom of your plastic packaging, and it has a number inside. So the numbers go from one to seven. And a lot of places now do accept all of those numbers. Um, so I thought, well, there probably won't be that much left over besides that, right? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, so number one, there's a lot of stuff that's left over. And a lot of stuff that's very confusing that um, we just didn't even know what it exactly was made of. And I spent a lot of time finding out. But to go back to those um, things that are getting uh, collected at the curbside and taken off somewhere, hopefully somewhere good. Sad news is it's 
it's not going somewhere good. Um, the recycling rate currently is at 5% for plastic. Um, that's a shocking number. We sh it's an abject failure in terms of uh, recycling numbers. We've been trying to get better at recycling plastic since the 1970s, and we should know how to do it by now. So what that tells me is that it is not possible. Um, experts will tell you that plastic is not an inherent, it does not lend itself as a material to effective recycling. It doesn't do what glass and metal uh, and, and paper can do. It is not infinitely recyclable. You can only try to recycle it one time, but as I said, it hardly ever even gets as far as there. You know, we, we think we're doing a good thing by putting it in recycling, but sadly, it's not getting where it's supposed to go. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And the other side of that is, okay, well, if it's not getting recycled, then where is it going? 30% um, of the plastic produced every year ends up in our environment, in our landscape. 40% ends up um, being landfilled. I mean, this, these are, this is atrocious, right? Um, what's the recycling rate for cardboard? 90%. Okay. If we can recycle cardboard at a rate of 90% and we can recycle plastic, we, if we struggle, we can maybe think about 5%. That tells me it's an abject failure. Um, so where is all this plastic actually going? Um, it's unfortunately, you know, China stopped accept at when China stopped accepting our um, plastic to be shipped to them for recycling uh, back in 2017, what, what developed was a situation where you have people um, in third world countries, developing countries, all of this plastic is being shipped to them and dumped on their landscapes. And so there are plenty of documentaries, and I list some of them in the end of my book. One of them is called uh, The Story of Plastic. When people watch this, they will be horrified to realize that there's no recycling sheriff who's going to make sure that something good happens to your plastic recycling. It's not going to get recycled. It's going to get shipped overseas. It's going to get dumped on uh, the landscape of some impoverished people whose government does not have the infrastructure to deal with it. And you're literally going to have children playing in our discarded plastic. That's It's so uh, ethically, morally upsetting. We're here we are trying to do the right thing, and instead something horrible is happening. So countries like India, uh, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, the list goes on and on, and it's truly upsetting. So if you're not upset about um, plastic not being you know, recyclable in principle, you should be upset that it is going uh, to these places and um, sitting in the landscapes of people who have to ha don't have proper means to deal with it. We, we watched that documentary and it was very upsetting. <laughs> like it, it, like it you said, is. everyone I think should watch it. Cause I, I think it was, you said it early in the book. You just said, we just assume it goes away. It doesn't go away. There is no away. It, There's nowhere for it to no, go. We live, it goes somewhere, but it's not away. We live away. on a finite planet. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, to see the kids playing in the piles, it just was, it just made me feel horrible. Ugh. It was, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, an, this is the thing we need to be aware of is that um, the system doesn't function when it comes to plastic. Uh, you know, other things are functioning well, other materials, but plastic is really the big problem. And plastic is the thing that doesn't go away. You know, everything else can either be infinitely recycled or it will break down and go back to the environment. Plastic is a creation of civilization. It's a creation of people and and it is made to last, and boy, does it ever. It, does. <laughs> it never goes away. Yeah. And so this idea that plastic will degrade over time, it won't. It doesn't break down. Uh, the structure is such that it will break up into microparticles, into microplastics. And this is coming up more and more in the news these days where they're doing study after study, and they're finding microplastics everywhere they look. Um, and this is very upsetting. Uh, not only for the environment, but also for uh, our own bodies. You know, you have babies being born and they have um, microplastics in their first poops. Yes. You know, it's, it's extremely distressing and alarming to realize that we have created this material that nature does not know what to do with. <laughs> and it's in such an abundance now 
that as human beings on the planet, we cannot avoid it. It is everywhere. It is at the top of Mount Everest. It is at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. It is in our lungs and our liver and our bloodstream. And plastic is not only made with fossil fuels, but it's um, you can't make it with fossil fuels alone. You have to also use a combination of toxic chemicals. So we're talking about heavy metals. We're talking about persistent organic pollutants. We're talking about known carcinogens, um, known endocrine disruptors. So all of these teeny tiny little bits of plastic that are getting into our bodies, getting into our food, getting into our bottled water, all still have all that chemistry in there as well. And so you have to imagine this is like a cocktail for disaster that we have created unwittingly. And that's, that's why I wanted to have you on, um, because I feel like maybe there, there could be a few listeners, you, you're used to my typical homesteading topics, we're talking about gardens and chickens, and you're like, I don't know why Jill's talking about this today. Because to me, like we said earlier, homesteading is all connected. And when I hear you talk about um, microplastics in our soil, and in our water, and in our newborn babies, and in our bodies, and in, our, in nature, like it's so unnatural. And I feel like as homesteaders, we're stewards of this. We're stewards of nature. We're stewards of the soil. We're stewards of the plants. And this is like, to me, this is a really pressing issue. Um, even as someone, you know, we, we have lots of other things to think about on the homestead. I think one thing that kind of comes as a really awesome side effect is that when we're growing more food or we're making more food, you kind of start to weed out some of those plastic options by default, which is pretty cool. And I, I feel like I'm hoping this interview will be, for those of you listening, just get you thinking towards other ways you can start to weed out uh, some of those plastics and some of those unnatural materials in your life, because it really, it does matter. And I've had people come to me and go, I just can't worry about that. I'm worried about too many other things. And I get it. I mean, we're modern people with lots of things happening, but it really, it's really important, or at least that's how I think of it. So it's, it's, I think it's a topic we all need to be chewing on. Absolutely. You know, I, I, um, I used to have a compost pile, um, but now I have a very serious compost pile (laughs) because I realized I could be putting so much more stuff into it, you know? Um, And I, 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 I put, for example, uh, I put my uh, shredded paper out there. Now I put out there um, the wood pellets that make up my kitty litter. I, I do keep that separate. Yes. I have one pile that can go, I write about that in the book, actually. I have one pile for use in my garden. And because of the issue with bacteria and toxoplasmosis that's related to cat poop, if your cat, you know, uh, has contact with, with animals outdoors, you can worry about that. But I, so I have two different piles. But you can take stuff like um, your pizza box that has grease on it. Well, you can't recycle that in a traditional single stream, but you can put it in your compost pile. Uh, and, and I also realized that, um, you know, up until recently I used black plastic in my garden to keep the weeds down. Yep. And I'm like, I gotta get away from that. I can't do that anymore. You know, this is, this is too scary. This is scary. I don't want those plastics. Now that I realize what can happen, the plastics can break down. They can leach. The older plastic gets, the greater its propensity to um, release these chemicals that make it up. So that is yet another reason, I don't think I touched on before, that recycling plastic, you don't want to drink out of recycled plastic. Like, right, right. <laughs> recycled plastic is old plastic. And that means that it is going to have a greater propensity to break off microparticles, and it's going to have a greater propensity to leak this toxic chemistry, this toxic cocktail that makes it up. Yes. So I encourage people in particular, if you take nothing away from my book or this interview, don't uh, try to keep plastic away from your food as much as possible. That is one of the biggest things that I do now is I try to get all the plastic out of my kitchen. I got rid of any plastic utensils. Um, I now use glass Tupperware. And what's wonderful is you can go back to, you can go to your local charity shop or antique store and they they have these beautiful glass dishes that are perfect for your leftovers. You don't have to rely on modern day solutions. Yeah. I think the kitchen is one, at least for me, has been one of the easier, I won't say the easiest, but easier places to get rid of the plastic just because like just by default you have the glass and you have the mason jars and you have bowl. I mean, it's just, it's, it's felt more doable there than other places in the home at least. 
I want to take a minute to say thank you to this episode's sponsor, Redmond Agriculture, because they solved a major problem for homesteaders like us, and that is soil testing. In the past, it was kind of a feat to get your soil tested. You either had to do complicated tests, you had to find an obscure website online, or you had to drive to some university to drop off your sample, and Redmond's eliminated all of that trouble. You might remember me talking about them last year because they were the ones who helped me do the detective work on my potting soil drama. And if you missed all that, you can go back to a previous episode to hear that saga. But I have been in love with their kits ever since. And whether you're listening to this episode in the spring or the summer or the fall, there's really no bad time to test your soil. The more you know about what's going on in the earth under your feet and under your plants, the more empowered of a gardener you will be and the better your harvest will be as well. So to give their soil tests a try, they are super easy to use and extremely inexpensive. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash soil test. And if you use code homestead, you can get 15% off your order. Now back to our episode. There are a lot of places. I mean, the thing about plastic is that um, 40% of the plastic created each year goes towards single-use disposable packaging. Well, that seems like low-hanging fruit, right? right? Like we should be able to start to address that. Durable plastic is, you know, it's also bad, but it's, I would, I would argue it's, it's less of a pressing priority to address. I think we need to start with the stuff that we, we can tackle most easily. And I think, I think single-use disposable plastic is it. Absolutely. You said something a minute ago that I wanted to circle back to. You, you were talking about compost and how your compost pile has gotten bigger. Um, and I, a lot of folks listening to this are huge compost fans. So we're, we are in your, your corner on the compost. I, I would be curious, what would you say to someone who, because I've heard people say this, well, it doesn't matter if I throw organic stuff in the garbage, like food waste, food scraps, paper, because it's going to compost in the land or it's going to you know, break down in the landfill anyway. What's wrong with that ah. line of thinking? Because <laughs> it sounds pretty good, right? Landfills are designed to be hermetically sealed environments. And so what that means is that there's no oxygen. Everything is compressed. And so all that food waste in there is not going to break down. It's going to be, like, sealed. Mm. Um, And to to the point where I was reading about uh, garbage archaeologists who who like to go and and see what's happening inside these landfills and they open them up and they and they find like a container of guacamole that's still green. Oh, whoa. right because the ox there's there's no, no oxygen. oxygen there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so what that tells you is that landfills are like these mausoleums of our discarded yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. And it they're not good. Like they're how do we maintain these sites? in perpetuity, uh, indefinitely, and keep it from harming us, harming the landscape, the animals, the environment. Um, This is all uh, the the leaking of the garbage juice. You know, uh, the the problem is that the landfill is, is destined to be a problem to future generations. So that's why I'd like to get away from this idea. I mean, there's no reason we need to have a landfill if we can deal with all the things that we wish to get rid of, we, you know, we don't want them anymore. Yeah. I don't want this, you know, piece of cardboard anymore. What's going to happen to it? Well, we can do some, we can do something better than sending it to a landfill. And I know that it's overwhelming to folks to, to think about making a change this big. Um, for me, doing a book about it, you know, it, it was overwhelming. Um, but I'm crazy. So <laughs> but we need crazy people. I'm highly motivated. You're highly motivated. I'm highly and, motivated. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I don't suggest that people try doing what we did. Um, I suggest people work at it from the opposite side, which is to say, incorporate the small changes that feel good and then progress. Like, you know, Whatever you feel is doable, that's a change, whether it's, you know, bringing little bags so you can put produce, you know, your little cloth produce bags to the store, or when you go to your local shop that you like to get, you know, meat from, you bring your own container. Of course, 
you know, that segues into the fact that we did this project unknowingly. We started this project at the beginning of 2020. Unreal. And so (laughs) we didn't realize that the year was going to end up being very different than we originally envisioned. And so I had all these wonderful plans and dreams of, you know, bringing my bags places and bringing my containers places and driving all over creation to go find the people who would accommodate this zero waste lifestyle All that disappeared almost overnight. A lot of the smaller shops closed um, and the ones that were still open didn't want to talk to me about my reusable containers. They didn't want me bringing those even near their doorstep. Even when we went to the supermarket, they were originally uh, about to ban plastic bags. They brought them right Mm -hmm. back out. They didn't want to hear anything about my reusable bags. Um, It was it was a very different experience than I expected. We had to pivot and go, okay, then what does this mean? Now, now we're doing this yet again in a different way. So that, that ended up being a really wonderful thing though. um, I think it it caused me to really focus on it in a new way. Yeah. And find better solutions. Yeah. I couldn't believe, I didn't realize, you know, with, when you, when I started reading that it was going to be the COVID year when, when the book took place. So that was, (laughs) like unreal unreal but you did it you did it and during one of the hardest years you possibly could do it so inspiring um so from from you living zero waste for a year do you feel like i I know there's like a a niche of zero waste on the internet and there's people who hold up their jars of you know this is all i generated in a year like there's a whole thing for it there's there's a spot for everybody and i love that about the internet that's great but like for normal people who have other things to do, <laughs> you know, is it, yes. is it possible? Should we aspire to that? It, I mean, cause I feel like when we aspire to something like that, maybe there's a danger of kind of beating ourselves up and we, we don't meet it exactly. Like we feel like it should be met. Those, those, those expectations, like where do you kind of stand on that now? Having gone through this, what is your life? What does your routine look like these days? Um, I'm still very stubborn. And, um, and I love the fact that every time we've done one of these projects, we go in one way and we come out changed. We come out different. And there is no going back because we now know things that we can't, it's like you can't unsee, you know, you can't unknow the bad things that are happening with plastic, for example. Um, I would say that for people who want to go zero waste, um, that's great, but I also think it's fine for people not to be, I think even the most, um, you know, enthusiastic zero wasters will admit that in today's contemporary environment, even they cannot be a hundred percent zero waste all of the time. And during the pandemic, you actually saw a lot of that. A lot of zero wasters were on uh, social media saying it's okay, folks, Yeah, you know, these are extreme times and you can't beat yourself up about it. You have to, you know, you, we have to just keep going and do the best you can. Um, and that's the thing that I think I, I advise folks. Um, I, I would do the things that you know to be really important, like keeping the plastic away from your food as much as possible. Um, and the things, you know, do the things that feel that you can do them, but don't beat yourself up for not being able to be a, a zero waste, a hundred percent person, because in today's contemporary environment, that's impossible. Yeah. Unless you want to, you know, go be a hermit somewhere. Um, and, and I don't. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think instead of, Uh, I think it's very important to focus on individual action, on personal responsibility, but at the same time recognize uh, that there's also the corporate responsibility that needs to be at at work and also legislative responsibility. And those are two other avenues that we can pursue. So we can be aware of, for example, legislation that might be going on in our state in, uh, you know, there's actually a, a national bill uh, about plastic, uh, the break pre- break free from plastic bill that's being proposed, um, that would that would significantly help with that low hanging fruit that I talked about, the plastic packaging, the forty percent of plastic produced every year. Um, so to be aware of um, things like extended producer responsibility, which is a big mouthful mm-hmm. and doesn't sound like anything, but it, extended producer responsibility is where we go to companies and say, guess what? You made this mess. 
you have to be responsible for its cleanup instead of the individual consumers who really don't have a choice in many cases. Um, If I want to buy cheese, I can't buy it without plastic covering, right? So the people who made that plastic covering need to make provision for what happens to it at the end of its useful life. Um, So extended producer responsibility is an important thing to be aware of, but it's also equally important to know that not all EPR is good because the companies that create this stuff have caught on to this principle and they say, oh, well, as part of this EPR bill, we're going to put chemical recycling in there. And chemical recycling means burning plastic. Uh Burning plastic is not recycling. And there's a lot of different, there's like eight or nine different words for it. Pyrolysis, chemical recycling, waste to energy. It all means the same thing. It means we're going to take the plastic and we're going to burn it. And we're going to end up with, you know, toxic ash in the air and uh, toxic ash uh, as, as a byproduct in, that has to be landfilled anyway. Yep. Um, so this is, th- these are all bad options. Don't, unfortunately, you can't just trust that, it, again, you know, we, we have a lot of trust in our society when it comes to these issues of recycling and what happens to things when they leave our site. And we need to realize that that system doesn't work. Um, so we can't trust that all EPR is good EPR. So one, one good thing to do is, is uh, check out sites like the Beyond Plastic folks. Beyond Plastics has a website. And I, I actually, in the course of, the, of doing our year of no garbage, I took a class from uh, the head of Beyond Plastics, Judith Inc. She's a professor at Bennington College, and I took an online class, and it was called Beyond Plastics 101. And this is where I learned a lot of the stuff. I, I had been fumbling along through much of our year of no garbage, trying to ferret out information um, in a system that's not designed to deliver that information. Um, and so when I got to the bottom of a lot of these issues was when I took her class and she was able to say once and for all, no, this is not a good system. No, these things are not getting recycled as you suspected. And what can we do about it? And so Beyond Plastics is a terrific resource for finding out if legislation will really be addressing the concerns that we have. Yes. It reminded me a lot in the book when you were talking about it, um, about just the industrial food system, which my audience is very familiar with, and how the labels don't mean quite what they say, and the corporations don't do quite what you think they're doing. And if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Like, there's a lot of that cover-up feeling, grayish kind of ickiness. Um, I also, I don't know why I never thought of it before, but you were, I think you were talking about big plastic and how they're literally, like, campaigning for more plastic. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Here, I thought, I kind of just assumed it was oh, yes. a necessary evil. And no, no, they're actually, it's like on purpose, <laughs> like blew my mind. Absolutely. In fact, by their own estimates, uh, Big Plastic would like to triple their plastic production by 2050. Oh. Why? Yeah. Why? What do we need all that plastic for? Well, because it's their full-time job to sell more of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And they're good at it. <laughs> They're, they're doing a good job. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's why, you know, it was my full-time job to try and avoid it. And I still, you know, I still couldn't do it 100% of the time. So people should be aware that it is that hard. It is that hard. So don't beat up on yourself. Do everything you can within, you know, w- your ability. And then become aware of the larger issues, you know, and where and, and vote accordingly. Yes. Yes. Um. What were, I mean, you gave so many practical tips in the book. It was so good. But what were some of your favorite discoveries and replacements that you found during your year of no garbage in terms of what you were like swapping out or getting or easy switches that you could use instead of the obvious plastic option? Ah, okay. Um, let me see. Um, one of my favorite things I already mentioned, which, which is switching to these beautiful refrigerator boxes that are Pyrex. Uh, that are glass. That's one of my most favorites because they're also very pretty and they're cheap. I love yes. it. I can go buy yes. one, you know, for a couple bucks. Um, what else? I one of my. I don't know how many people are going to be willing to do this, but one of the things that I found I really love to do, and maybe I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm out there. So I stopped using garbage bags. Ah, um, okay. I do, I don't actually put a a bin liner in 
And the reason that I like it so much is it keeps me honest. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do instead is I, ha- and, and in fact, now that we have a garbage again, I should mention, um, I have, I, so I have a garbage and the only stuff that ever goes in there is single use disposable plastic. And um, so if I have, you know, food packaging, meat packaging, I'll rinse it off. I'll let it dry. I'm not like obsessive about it, but you know, so it doesn't smell. I put everything in there and it keeps me honest because a a, a big black bag, a kitchen bin liner, it's like an invitation to, you know, it's, it sucks things in. Yes, it does. (laughs) And what I found is that it keeps me honest. Now that's a sort of extreme measure. Um, another thing I do is I use, um, I have to buy a feed for my chickens. And I, I frequently am unable to find it in paper. Sometimes I can, and sometimes I get it in uh, this multi-layer. It's a yeah. combination of plastic and paper. So I, uh, when it is time to empty my, my, my bin of single-use disposable plastic, that's what I put it in instead. I don't buy garbage bags anymore, yeah. and I use that instead. So I feel like that's at least, you know, the best I can do is give that bag another life, another use. Yes. And I know my audience will have, we have plenty of chicken feed bags, paper and plastic, probably. So (laughs) that's a great, that's a great tip. I have to know, do you still like your ozone laundry thing? Are you still using that and enjoying that? Because I was really intrigued. I'd never heard of that before I read the book. And I love it. As you can tell, I write about it like, Ooh, I love my ozone yeah. laundry thing. But you know, I go into all this detail because I was like, is this okay? Right. That's like, what, I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, but if she, okay, I trust her, but I, I, she says it's okay. So I wouldn't Google it and look at it on Amazon, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to do a really deep dive and the, so the short answer is, yeah, it's fine. And that's good. Um, I love it. Um, I need to get a new one because if I'm honest, since I wrote that, it it it, it conked out and mm, broke, okay. and my warranties expired. Okay. So I got to go get another one. Good to know. Yeah, good to know. So I've been using uh, in in the interim. I've been using tablets that I buy from Blue Land. I like Blue Land. Yeah, and I I like them quite a bit. They they come in packaging that is industrially compostable, and that's another issue that I yeah um, you know I, I get frustrated with because. When, because the idea of things being compostable is very misleading. A lot of the time people, oh, it's compostable. That means that, you know, that's terrific. And we can just stop thinking about it. No, 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 no. Because um, if it goes to the landfill, remember, there's no oxygen. It's not going to break down. Um, so if you put it in your home compost, frequently these items are industrially compostable only. They are not home compostable. So you'll go back a year later and that package will still be sitting there staring at you. Um, it has to be industrially composted. Well, how do I get it to industrial compost? Um, Million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. The, and, and these facilities, um, you know, they're not on every street corner. So, for example, we have a coffee shop nearby, and I write about this in the book, where, where they um, they give out this packaging for coffee cups and food containers, and all of it says, yay, I'm compostable, woohoo! Well, that coffee shop is uh, half an hour away from my house. Yeah. And so what, what, and, and of course, if you're there getting this stuff in to-go cups, you're going somewhere. Yeah. And so they have a bin for industrial compost there in the shop, but that means I got to get in my car and drive a half or half an hour to, to take that coffee cup back. Yeah. That's not a system that seems very sustainable. Um, so this is, these are the details, this like the devil is in the details that people, um, generally speaking in their average everyday lives, don't have time to investigate. And in fact, I called up the lady at the coffee shop, you know, whoever answered the phone and I'm like, so can I put this in my home compost? And she's like, I think so. The people who are using these products often do not know the what what the parameters are either you know we're all living very busy full active lives running around and sometimes um it's 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 unreasonable i think to expect that we're all going to do this deep dive on you know is my ozone cleaner for my laundry okay or is the compostable really going to compost you know so that's why i love the idea of i can look into all these answers 
hopefully put them in an entertaining format in this book and people can use that as the cliff notes to as a springboard. They can jump off and, and you know, take that information and do good things with it. Yeah. And that's what one of the things that struck me as I was reading is how much work you had to do to get the, the answers because they were not easy to find answers. It wasn't like you called up these companies, even like the plastic companies, no one could give you a straight answer. No one was giving you what you actually needed. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that was intense, just the research side of things. And that's it's not something yes, a normal yes. consumer is not going to want to do that or be able to do. No. Yeah, no, no. And, and I think a lot of people will say, I would love to go zero waste, or I'd love to do some of these things, but I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. I just don't, you know, and I'd say that's okay. That's okay. You know, the, the first step towards meaningful change is awareness. Yep. And I think that that is where we all start. And then going through life, you will see things differently. And you might not say want to, you know, um, you might not be able to go to that extra, you know, store that, that has the, um, that has the zero packaging that has the, uh, fill your own, yeah. you know, oats or whatever, but that that's okay. That's okay. Because you're starting where you are and that's what we all need to do. Yes. And that awareness, you have that information now yes. and, and moving forward, you'll have the awareness. And that's everything. I mean, I think this whole journey, this whole, everything I've ever done with the homestead, um, gardening, cooking, you know, all of it has been just that, that first step of awareness and the, the person who kind of opened up my mind, whether it was a book or a podcast interview and just got me thinking, we just have to start thinking through what we're doing instead of just kind of mindlessly going through life. Um, I think that's where the magic begins. Absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think there's always this moment of discomfort when you're trying to do something in a way that's different than you've ever done before and maybe different than everyone around you is doing it. Um, and, and it's important to sort of like allow yourself to feel that discomfort. Like I, for example, get really shy when I'm asking people for something special. So I'm going to the, you know, the store and I'm like, I want to buy a salad, but I don't want the plastic clamshell. So I go to the deli and I'm like, I go with my container and I'm like, would you please put it in this container? I'm sorry. You know, I get really like, you know, like they're going to get mad at me. You know, I'm making their job more difficult. And in fact, that that doesn't happen. You know, people are usually awfully nice and very helpful. And if they say no, they say no. But a lot of the time they don't. A lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. I think that's true for so many things. Um, And just, yeah, like you said, sitting in that discomfort and being willing to look like a weirdo sometimes. It's okay to be a weirdo. I think most of my homestead crew were used to being weird. So this will just fit right into everything else you're doing, you guys. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even going to feel that different. I mean, if you're milking a cow, I mean, come on, this is like nothing. Ask for the the refillable container. (laughs) So, um, Or asking your store to carry the milk in the refillable container, for example, you know. It's very funny what people can get shy about or, you know, like, oh, I can't do that, you know. Totally. Yeah, so it, it's it's one thing at a time. Yep, yep, baby steps, baby steps. Um, oh, my goodness, so good. I want to I wanna be respectful of time here, but I have my one final question for you is just a little bit of encouragement potentially for the audience. So one thing I think that I've struggled with is, you know, I, I'll be doing my my little steps, you know, getting paper bags or trying not to get this plastic piece or, you know, doing all the little bits. And then you go watch a documentary like The Story of Plastic and you see the mountains of garbage and it's just like a kick in the gut because you're like, nothing I'm doing matters. What do you what do you do when you start feeling that or what words of encouragement would you have for someone who's thinking, I like this idea, but I don't think it's going to help anything? You know, I think I, I, I belong to, to, to an anti-plastic, anti-plastic waste advocacy group. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot is sort of like, um, getting, getting down, getting depressed, feeling like what you're doing doesn't matter. And I think it's, I think one of, one of the nice things about being part of a group like that is we can turn to each other. Um, and, and, uh, you know, when one of us is feeling not so optimistic, other people can rally. Um, I also think that it's very important to um, to speak up, but to maintain your sense of humor. Like, you know, when we're when we're writing a, an angry letter to the newspaper or to a corporation, that's what a lot of folks, you know, in my group, you know, we're, we're constantly talking about advocacy. 
And I don't know if, if uh, you know, that, that might be beyond where, where your listeners are at, but, but I think it's, it's comparable to say, you know, you, you get down sometimes and you're like, I don't know. Um, I think it's important to remember uh, the humanity of these issues and to maintain your sense of humor and joy. And, um, you know, I went to a protest down in New York City uh, last fall. And what I noticed was that, you know, we're all, we're all going along, you know, we were protesting Coca-Cola's support of the, uh, you know, financial support of the COP27 uh, United Nations Climate Conference. So we're like, this is ridiculous, right? Coke is one of the biggest problems when it comes to plastic waste. So uh, what I found was that when we were singing and when we were smiling, people would engage with us. Mm. And when we were angry and when we were chanting, people did not want to hear what we had to say. They didn't want to take our flyers. They would walk right past. And so I think that's, I think finding the joy in what you're doing and what you care about is so important. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And you do such a great job of that in your book. Um, it's engaging and it's funny and it it's warm and it's, it, it's inspiring, but in a way that makes you feel like you can do it. So well done. And thank you for that. Oh, I'm so glad because that's one of the biggest things I, I did not want. I want, I'm conveying a lot of information that can be pretty heavy. Yeah. And so I wanted it not to feel doom and gloom. Yes. I wanted it to feel hopeful and here's what we're, here's what you can do next. Yes. And it did. It did. So can you let everyone know where they can find a copy of this wonderful book and also where they can connect with you online if they'd like to follow along with what you're doing? Oh, of course. Yes. Um, so my, I, I write a blog at eveshop.com. Um, I am on all the social media that I can possibly handle. Uh, here <laughs> I'm, <you. laughs> I'm on TikTok. Yep. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. I've got an author page on Facebook. Uh, it's at Eve Shab, usually on all those things. Eve O. Shab sometimes. Um, and to buy my book, you can find it in uh, your local independent bookstore. You can find it at Amazon. You can find it at Barnes & Noble. Most of the major uh, book purveyors have it or can get it for you. Of course, I always love when people buy it at their local independent bookstore, best of all. Same. I always push that first. I'm like, go there first. Yeah, give them your business. <laughs> Amazon doesn't need you, but they do. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Eve, this was so fantastic. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I'm feeling extra inspired moving forward. And I hope everyone listening just as a little extra motivation to start thinking, to start thinking through what's going in the garbage can and what you're buying and where that plastic is showing up. And remember that awareness is that first step. So thanks for coming on. This is a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs>